I don't know if you uh, know any good life hacks. Anyone have good life hacks? Okay, no one has good life hacks. So maybe you don't know what life hacks are. Life hacks are things that people share with one another uh, that improve your way of living. Maybe routines and mundane tasks. It's kind of shortcuts to achieve your goals even faster or to achieve success even faster. So I went online, since you guys don't have any life hacks, I went online and found some of the top life hacks that were shared on the internet. You guys ready? All right, here's the first one, and you might find some of these to be helpful, and some of these might seem a little outrageous, but here we go. First one is this. Have you ever highlighted something in a book and then regret it, regretted highlighting it? Like you went over two lines instead of one line. Here's what you can do. Here's a life hack for you. You can take a cotton swab, and you can dip it in some lemon juice, and then if you go over what you highlighted, it's supposed to remove the highlighter. That's pretty cool. Here's another one. Uh, have you ever had a difficult time finding the keys that you, the key that you needed to access a door because you have too many keys? Anyone have too many keys? So here's a life hack for you, and this person shared this online, is that you can color code, you take nail polish, and then you color code your keys, and so then you know which key that you need, and so you can access it faster. Maybe that's helpful, maybe it's not. Here's another one. Have you ever needed to get water from your kitchen faucet into a bucket. But you couldn't because your kitchen sink was too small. So a few people here. Here's what they shared. All you have to do is go find a pool noodle. And then you stick it into your faucet and then you run it into the bucket. Life hack there for you. If you have kids, parents, here's a life hack for you. Uh, you know that kids' toys and their playrooms are a breeding ground for germs. And at times, though, it's hard to clean, like, individual pieces of magnetiles and Legos and blocks, so we just kind of leave it alone. But here's what you can do. You can take these small pieces of toys, put them in a small laundry bag, and stick it in your dishwasher and run the cycle. Another life hack for you. All right, last one for you. This one's a little gross, but have you ever had gum get stuck on carpet? Right? And so maybe sometimes what you do is you try to pull at it and then the gum gets all stringy and then gets all over you and it's really gross. So here's what they said to do. You take a bag of ice and you place it on the gum and then the gum freezes and then you can just snap it off. Right? Some amazing life hacks. Maybe some of these are genius but others of these are ridiculous like the pool noodle one. Uh, if, I, um, if I had a pool noodle, it probably means I'm wealthy enough to have a pool and if I was wealthy enough to have a pool, then my kitchen sink wouldn't be that small, <laughs> right? But we all look for life hacks. In fact, there's a website called lifehack.org. If you just Google life hacks, there are so many. And people, us human beings, we're looking for ways to improve our lives, routines and tasks that we do so that we can get results faster and take shortcuts to what we need to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But not only, this is a fascinating thing, not only do human beings look for life hacks when it comes to practical things in life, we also look for life hacks when it comes to what fulfills us as human beings. Life hacks to feeling fulfilled in life or finding love, or what I want to focus on this morning, life hacks to finding happiness and joy. I don't know if you know this, but there are whole fields of study uh, dedicated to this topic of happiness. For example, Harvard University has a Master of Happiness degree that you can go and get. Now think about this degree, and think about the pressure that comes with having a Master of Happiness degree. You talk to someone and you say, hey, I just graduated from Harvard. Wow, that's impressive. You graduated from Harvard. What did you do? I got my Master of Happiness degree. Once you tell someone that, you can never be sad again in your life. 
Like you're the master of happiness. There are whole fields of study. There are research institutes dedicated to this topic of being happy. It's found all around us. It's even found in some of our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, right? It says this, we find this to be truthful, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And he'll finish this with me. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's found all around us, this pursuit of happiness, this pursuit of joy, trying to find it. But here's the question. Are these philosophies, strategies, is the pursuit actually working? Well, there's research that's found at the University of British Columbia recently, and researchers found this. They looked into all the research institutes around happiness and the studies and the philosophies, and they found that there's very little sound advice that these philosophies and strategies around happiness actually work. In fact, they found that most of them don't actually work. And when you go on lifehack.org, they actually have a list of life hacks to be happy. And here's what they are. You need to sleep more. You need to use your cell phone less. You need to go out more and you need to be more social. Uh, you need to serve more. And these are all things that we should be doing as human beings, good things to do. But here's the thing. I've, I found myself doing these things at times in my life, but found myself to not be happy the way that I want. And so do these actually work? On the one hand, we as human beings, we value and we pursue this thing called happiness and joy. On the other hand, we have a hard time really wrapping our fingers around it and trying to get a grasp on it. Like, what does it actually mean? So on one hand, we have people that pursue happiness and try to find it at all costs. On the other hand, and this may be some of you here this morning, you've given up on happiness and joy. You've given up on it because you're not sure if it's actually possible to be happy or if it's really possible to have joy in life. And this is studied in modern philosophy. And here's what they found is that people, many of us, when you face trauma in life, you now have a shattered world view. And so at some point in your life, You've believed in something, and then this thing called cognitive dissonance happens, and then you believed in something, but you're not sure if it still happens or if you should still believe in it because of the experiences that you've had, and then we're thrown off. And this is especially true when it comes to our joy and our happiness. So you might be in a relationship. You might be in a relationship where you're supposed to trust this person, but because of past relationships where that trust is, was abused and misused, you have a hard time. Like you know there's a place for trust in a relationship, but you second-guess it because of your past experiences. You know the world, maybe, for example, should be safe, but because of your past experiences, you know it should be safe, but you're not sure if it actually will be. Some of you may even begin to blame yourself. You've never truly experienced happiness and joy, and so you might say, well, maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's me. There's something to me, and that's why I'm not getting and feeling happiness and joy. And here's the thing. Our pursuit of it is okay. You and I as human beings, we are wired to be happy and joyful and experience this in life. And so what happens, even when we face difficulties in life and trauma in life, we still pursue it because we still want it. And so what happens, even though there have been partners in the past that have abused trust in your life, you go to the next one because you're hoping that this new partner, this new relationship will give you the joy that you've always been looking for. Even though you've been in some workplaces where things didn't go well, you're hoping that getting out of this field and getting into that new field and getting this new job will give you the joy that you've always been looking for. You've been unhappy in the past with yourself, and so you're hoping that if you can just get that new physique, then you'll have true happiness and joy that you've never had before. And what happens, and many of you have experienced this cycle, you know how it is, you've pursued these things, 
and they never truly give you joy and happiness. And so what happens is that you've completely given up on joy and happiness. Some of you are afraid to even pursue happiness and joy because you're saying, what's the point? My heart's going to get broken again. I'm going to be disappointed again. So what does it really mean to be happy and what does it truly mean for us to have joy in a season, Christmas season, where we hear this word joy all the time? Well, today what I want to dive into is that happiness is not something that we're promised from God as a strategy or philosophy. Happiness is a gift and joy is a gift that we've been given by God in himself. And Jesus offers us a unique perspective when it comes to joy. And that's what I'm going to look at, maybe some life hacks from Jesus when it comes to joy. And we're going to be in John chapter 15 this morning and then chapter 16. You can turn your Bibles there. If you need a Bible, we have some free ones on the back wall for you. If not, we'll have it up on the screen in front of you. John chapter 15. Uh, and the context here is Jesus is sharing with his disciples. He's praying for them. He's giving them some commands on the eve of his arrest and his crucifixion and his death. This is about to happen, and Jesus is teaching his disciples something, and we're going to pick up John chapter 15, verse 9 to 11. Here's what he says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be in complete. Now there's a lot to unpack here, but Jesus says this, I have told you this. What did he tell them? He tells them that I loved you. I love you and you are to remain in my love. So he tells them that. He tells them, I love you. You're supposed to remain in my love so that your joy would be, my joy would be in you and so that your joy would be complete. Jesus here is revealing something about joy. Saying joy is not mere human happiness. It's not something that we pursue through strategies or philosophies. It's something that's actually supernatural. It comes from God by abiding in his love for us. That's what true joy is. Joy is a gift that has been given to you because God loves you and you are to abide in his love. Think about this. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm telling you that I love you, and if you stay in my love, my joy will be in you, and your joy will be complete. And so here's the first thing that we learn about joy through the teachings of Jesus. Joy, number one, comes by abiding in Jesus. He's ultimately saying our joy, the joy that you and I experience in this life, is his joy. Our joy is his joy. So what does that mean? Joy then is not actually possible apart from Jesus because our joy is actually his joy in us. So for those of you that are pursuing happiness and for those of you that may have given up on happiness and joy, here's what you need to know. True joy and happiness are possible. The true joy and happiness are only possible through abiding in Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can have that joy. And so what is joy? Well, I've heard some people say that joy is an internal feeling and happiness is an outward expression of that internal feeling. And here's what I would say, and here's how I would summarize joy to be. Joy is an emotional state, a feeling of goodness that we have because we are totally content with who Jesus is and his love for us. That's what true joy is, contentment. And this emotional goodness that we feel because we are content with Jesus and his love for us. And this deep contentment that we can have 
this true joy that we can have, it's not something that's forced upon you and I. It's something that you and I have access to. It's a gift that has been given to us because of Jesus' love for you. So when Jesus says, your joy, my joy is in you, and your joy will be complete because we abide in Jesus, what he's saying is that there's a choice that we have to make. He already loves us, and he's calling us to abide in that love so that we can have joy. So the choice is for us to abide in his love. I'll put it this way. My kids, I have three kids, uh, under four, help me. But here's what, what happens with my kids. Anytime, no matter what it is that I'm doing around the house, if any of my kids come up to me, I could be washing the dishes, I could be working on a sermon, I could be working on my car, whatever it is. If my kids come up to me and do this, and give me those eyes and their hands in the air, I will drop whatever it is I'm doing to pick them up. Whatever it is I'm doing to pick them up. And in that moment, there is this total contentment that they have. They could have been crying a few moments ago or fighting with their siblings a few moments ago or being frustrated a few moments ago. But as soon as I pick them up, there's this contentment that they have. Not because of what they're wearing or what they look like. A lot of times there's snot all over their face that they get on my clothes. That's why on Sundays you see stuff all over me because it's my kids. But their contentment is because they're being held by their father. And they know that they have access to that 24 hours a day for the rest of their life if they want it. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this, I love you. And you are to abide in my love so that my joy is in you and your joy is complete. You and I, he's telling his kids, his children, you have that type of access to Jesus all the time. Stop looking for joy in all the other places except where true joy comes from. And it's in the arms of your heavenly father. True joy comes by abiding in Jesus. Jesus would continue to teach his disciples on this topic of joy. He mentions it in John chapter 15, and then he jumps in John chapter 16. He brings it back up again because they have some questions for him about his crucifixion that's about to come, and they're not sure what he's actually saying. And so he clarifies some of this, but here's what he continues to say about joy. John chapter 16 verse 20 is where we'll pick up, and he says this. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. It says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. It says, so it is with you. Now is your time for grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. Here's the second thing that Jesus is teaching us. Not only is joy possible through abiding in Jesus, joy goes beyond our circumstances. We can have joy beyond circumstances. He says you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And what he's telling them in that moment is the crucifixion that's about to come up. He's telling them in a moment, in a few days, you're going to grieve. Because he knows that they've been with him. And I find this so fascinating that Jesus, right before his, his betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion, his death, the biggest challenge of his ministry that's about to come, Jesus is teaching his disciples about joy. And he's telling them that you're going to grieve because you've put your faith in me for many years. You've seen me do miracles. 
Raise the dead, open the blind eyes, open the deaf ears. You see me preach like no one has before. Here's God in flesh. He called them out of their, their situations and called them to new life, and they've trusted in him, and then now they're going to see him get arrested, which would be embarrassing for a religious leader of that time. And then he would be beaten and crucified, and Jesus notes that he would be put in a tomb, and the disciples, his followers, would grieve and mourn and feel deep sorrow, and he tells them, you're going to feel it. It's going to happen, but that grief will turn in to joy. What Jesus is ultimately saying is that I'm going to experience death, and there's some mourning and some sorrow when it comes to death, but on the other side of death is a resurrection, and when the resurrection happens, you will experience true joy, joy that no one can take away from you. You and I have experienced the resurrected Christ. And so that means we have joy that no one can take from us. Now, this is difficult for us to understand at times, right? Because all of us, you've lived long enough to know that your joy has been taken away by some things that you've experienced in life, some unmet expectations, some disappointments, some tragedies. So how can this be that our joy cannot be taken away from us? And this is difficult for us to understand in the West, because across the world, for many people, they don't have the ability to have happiness and momentary pleasures and joy because of the things that they have, the material things that they have. For us, that's our biggest challenge. Like I was in Ethiopia about 12 years ago, and I remember we were going uh, through the streets of Ethiopia and handing out food with one of the churches in the area, and I walked uh, through the street, and I stepped on this uh, sewer uh, cover, with this graded sewer cover that you can look through, and I stepped on it, and it creaked a little bit, and I looked down, and there's a mom in there holding her baby looking up at me. And I'll never forget that image. But for that mom holding her baby in the sewage lines of Ethiopia, her contentment and her happiness have never come from what she owns. Material possessions. The challenge for us here in America, in the West, is that we've allowed the things that we have, our possessions, our jobs, our identity, to bring us momentary happiness and pleasures. So when Jesus says your joy cannot be taken away from you, what we immediately go to is, well, I've had my joy taken away from me because I've had things that I wanted in life that I no longer have in life. Our life hack for happiness is not using our $1,000 phones as much. Our life half for happiness is signing up for a $100 gym membership so we can feel better about our physiques. Our life hack for happiness is going out with friends to eat at expensive restaurants that most of the world could never sit in and eat in. And that's not to make anyone feel bad, but we've put our trust at times in the momentary material things that bring us momentary happiness. But when Jesus says your joy cannot be taken from you, he's saying, that happiness cannot be based on what you have or what you do because if it's based on what you have and what you do, it means those things can be taken away from you. Everything you currently have materially can be taken away from you. Your possessions, your career, your health, all of it can end in a moment. C.S. Lewis reminds us this way, do not let your happiness be found in things that can be taken from you. So Jesus says your joy can't be taken from you. Why? Because joy is doing uh, the grief and the sorrow that you might be facing in life. The things that you have or don't have. They might be producing something in you. And so our joy is not found in what we have. Our joy is truly found in what God is doing in the moments that we face situations and circumstances in life. 
Paul, one of the apostles, who knew what it meant to face suffering, but also to experience joy. Here's what he says about it in Romans chapter 5. He says, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. That word glory there is translated in different ways. One of the ways that it's translated is to have joy. It means to rejoice. It means to boast in your sufferings. Think about boasting in your sufferings. He says we glory in it. We boast in it. Why? Because it's not based on what we have or don't have. It's based on what God is doing in and through us. He's producing perseverance for the next time it happens, which it inevitably will happen, which produces character, something inside of you that you can't buy. And hope, the hope that God will one day turn that grief into true joy. And he uses this example of a woman giving birth. And we know that when a woman is pregnant, there's lots of pain associated with it. It begins with some nausea and some uh, throwing up maybe and some pains and some aches. And then you have a difficult time walking and it crescendos into the moment of birth where you're in severe pain. But you know on the other side of that is the gift of life. And when you hold that baby, you no longer think about all the pain that you just experienced moments ago. And that's what Jesus says. You're going through it momentarily, but there is a hope on the other side of the horizon. And we wait knowing that the pain and the suffering and the aches that we're going through is doing something in us. It's growing something in us. And that one day we will experience Joy. So joy comes through abiding in Jesus, and joy, Jesus says, has to go beyond your circumstances. It can't be based on what you have or don't have. And joy is actually possible even if you have nothing, because joy is found in Jesus. And then Jesus would continue to teach. Worship team, you guys can come on up as I get ready to wrap up. Verse 23, here's what he says. In that day... He's talking about when he resurrects. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Jesus here is talking to his disciples right before his crucifixion, right? And right before that, his disciples were asking him some questions like, you said that you'll be gone for a little while and then you'll come back in a little while. Like, what does any of this mean? And he's telling them this answer later on. He says, in that day, when you see me again and your joy, is com- your joy comes back and your grief turns to joy, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. He's saying, up until now, you've prayed to the Father apart from me. You've been with me, but now you pray in my name. You pray in Jesus' name. Ask in my name, and the Father will give you whatever it is that you ask. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I grew up in church hearing messages like this about ask and you will receive of just going to God and asking for whatever it is that we want. And sometimes I grew up in a church culture where the, the, the word Jesus and the name Jesus was like a magic word that you use to get results instantly. So you needed something, you say, in Jesus' name, I want that. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. It can't be what Jesus is teaching here, but a lot of times in our Western minds, we immediately jump to Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Ask in my name and you will receive. We immediately think, 
that we're supposed to ask so that we can receive things that make us happy. It's not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is saying, ask and you will receive. What did he end with? So that your joy will be complete. Think about that. Ask and you will receive so that your joy will be complete. Well, if our joy can't be found in what we have and don't have, he's not talking about asking for things that we want in life. Ask and receive so that your joy will be made complete. Jesus is saying, as ask in my name. He's saying, ask in accordance to what I have taught you all of these years. The difference now is you no longer go to God apart from me. But you go in Jesus' name. To pray, to go to the Father in Jesus' name means that your tasks are not, your asks are not centered around your own personal preferences, desires, wants, but around the values of Jesus' kingdom. That's what you ask for. The ask is not for what we want. The ask is in accordance with his will. And he says, ask that way in my name. It's the only way our joy will truly be complete. So the third way that we can have joy is that because when we ask our Heavenly Father according to the authority and identity that we have in Jesus, we have joy because God hears us. It's the third way that we find true joy. Joy is knowing that God hears you. He hears you when you pray, when you go to him, when you approach him. And here's how I know that God hears you. Well, Jesus clarifies it for his disciples in the verse after. He says this, verse 26. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Look at the beauty and richness of what Jesus is teaching here. He says, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Sometimes, imagine my, uh, one of my kids came up to me. And the only way that they knew that I would give them something is if they knew the boss of the house approved it. <laughs> and if they came to me, and after eating three granola bars and saying, I want a fourth one and mommy said I can have it. There's a lot of times how we treat God. We've kind of separated God the Father as this judgmental Old Testament being that uh, has uh, judged humanity and caused wars and calamities. And uh, uh, we've seen him cause destruction in the Old Testament. He's kind of far and distant. And then here comes Jesus to save the day. And so we ask Jesus and then God hears the prayer that you said in Jesus' name. And so he says, okay, they mentioned in Jesus' name. I'll give you what you want. Jesus said, that's not how it works. He's saying, I am not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. The love of the Father is not apart from the love of the Son because they are one. And you need to know that the God of the universe loves you deeply. The God of the universe has always loved his people. Jesus is telling his disciples this before the resurrection. The Father loves you. And if you just abide in my love, the Father 
hears what you have to say. We can have true joy because the creator of the universe has loved us deeply and loves us deeply. The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when we go to Jesus, we go to him knowing that the God of the universe loves us. Jesus is God saying, look how much I love you. And that's where our true joy can only come from, finding contentment because there is a God who loves us and cares for us. And this is essential and central to the Christmas story, that God came. And you and I can have joy. Look what the angel says in the book of Luke. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. It's the same message for us this Advent season. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for every single one of us. A Savior has been born to you. It's the only place that our true joy can come from. So this morning, I don't know where you're at, but in your pursuit of joy and happiness, maybe you've looked to all the wrong places. Your identity, the way that you look, the way that you dress, your friend circles, your job, your salaries, the material things that you have, your house, your cars, whatever it may be. I don't know what it is that you've pursued in order to have happiness and joy. And some of those things will bring you momentary short bursts of happiness. But you need to know this Advent Christmas season that joy it's not something that you pursue. Joy is not something that is a strategy or a philosophy. Joy is a gift that has been given to you because you love God. And you have access to that this morning. Maybe for others of you, you've rejected this idea of happiness or joy. You never feel it. You don't know what it's like. You're always down. You're not sure what's going on. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your past experiences. Jesus is reminder in your rejection of happiness and true joy that it is possible through him and through him alone. I want to end with this quote from Tim Keller, and I'll pray for us. It says, God is so committed to your ultimate joy that he was willing to plunge into the greatest depths of suffering himself for you and I. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you this morning for true joy true contentment, state of feeling, goodness that comes only from you. We thank you, Jesus, that in your final moments you remind your disciples as you remind us this morning that true joy, I'm telling you this, I'm telling you that I love you and if you just stay in my love, my joy will be in you. Thank you that joy is a gift that is in us because of you. We thank you that our joy is made complete even when we face difficulties in life. And that our joy is found in your true love for us. That because you hear us when we come to you. Pray for those in this room this morning that they will be reminded of that joy. Whatever it is that they walked in here with, whatever it is that they're going through. May they leave here just simply abiding in your love. In moments of unhappiness, in moments of dissatisfaction with life, may they remind themselves that God loves me, that Jesus loves me, 
All I need to do is turn my face towards him when I go through it in life. All I need to do is gaze upon his beauty. All I need to do is remind myself of his love to abide in him. It's the only place that I can have true joy and true contentment. We thank you for this Advent time that we're in as we anticipate, as we remind ourselves of your coming, that we can have joy, but we also anticipate the day that you will come and make things all right, make all things new, that one day we will have joy forever. We thank you for that comes only through you, Jesus. It's in your mighty and precious name we pray. And the church said, amen. You can stand with me this morning. We're going to close out in a song. If you need prayer, our prayer partners will be up to the left.